Well, hallelujah to the Lamb. It's time for the Word of God, and the Word of God today is going to come from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 16, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time of sharing today. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are strength and you are redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 16, here's what God's Word says. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, with accordance to the time he had learned from the Magi. I want to preach about it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 speaks of when, uh, in the first century, when Jesus was born, God's only begotten Son. And when Jesus was born, uh, the Scriptures say he was born King of the Jews. He was born the King. Everybody else uh, that ever was a king had to become king. Even Josiah, that was eight years old when he was king, he still became king. But Jesus did not become king. He was king before he got here. He, he was born the king of the Jews. And so word began to circulate uh, through their mainstream media and through their mass media and through their social media that there is a newborn king. And it went further than Bethlehem and it went further than Jerusalem and further than Judah and Israel. It went to different parts of the world. That's why African kings from East Africa came to Israel looking for this little baby that is born king of the Jews. When they got there, they didn't know where to find this newborn king, and so they believed that, well, if anybody ought to know where the newborn king is, it's the present king. So they went to the present king of the Jews, Herod, and asked, where is this newborn king? And so Herod calls in his, uh, the professors and, and the preachers, that's the scribes and the, and, and, and the priests, and they looked it up in Scripture to see where this newborn king would be born and discovered it was in Bethlehem. And so when Herod, the head of state, heard about that, uh, then uh, those magi go down, they worship Jesus, and they go home another way, warned of the angels. And in Matthew 2 and 16, when, uh, when the head of state got word of that, he was so furious and so angry until he sent the military police down into Bethlehem to kill all the boys there, those Hebrew boys who were two years and under. Watch what he does. He goes to the Scripture, and he takes that Scripture that the professors and the preachers of his day, and then he twists it for his own ungodly and unrighteous ways to try to protect his own position. He twisted those scriptures to try to protect his own perceived power. And we, we know what that looks like. There's no difference in standing in, in front of a church that you're not committed to and won't go to and holding up a Bible that you don't read and, 
uh, you don't open and then try to twist that Bible uh, into, and those scriptures into trying to rationalize and justify ungodly behavior. And that's nothing new in America. We've seen that before uh, with white preachers in the 17th and 18th century uh, trying to use scripture and that twisted theology uh, to make black slaves more uh, submissive. And so we've seen people twist scripture before for their own personal agenda. It's called sacrilegious. And so Herod sends that, those military police down into Bethlehem. And he sends them down there so that he can be dominant. This is a show of his dominance that I'm going to take out this newborn king. Because he has a history of annihilation and elimination whenever he felt threat in his position. He, whenever he felt a threat in his perceived power, he would use annihilation and elimination. That's what he's doing. He's killing all those little boys who are two years in under in Bethlehem. And, and so in the 21st century, uh, there are those who believe in our nation that the, the killing of George Floyd by that white police officer with his knee on his neck, that somehow this is a new thing in America, and I can't believe America is doing No, no, this is nothing new. America has a history of annihilation and elimination when it comes to black males. You can go all the way back to slavery when whites in America would go to the shores uh, of Africa and enter into Africa and literally kill black slaves and black men and then put them on that, those not cruise ships but slave ships in the Middle Passage and more would die on that on that slave ship and they just throw their bodies overboard. This is nothing new in America of killing black men. And in the time of slavery, they would kill black men, especially when they would try to escape to show others you can't do this. And when black uh, slaves would escape, they would send police officers to bring them. This is nothing new in America, annihilation and elimination of black men, even when slavery was open, lynchings in public that everybody could see. And so when we see black men unarmed, being gunned down by those who are supposed to protect and serve. It's a part of the DNA of the United States of America to use annihilation and elimination. And, and that's exactly what's still going on today. We still see that. And not just with police brutality, but we see that elimination even when it comes to prisons being populated by black men. That I remember back in the 80s, and I'm old enough to remember this. Back in the 80s, black people had an issue with drugs, crack, and cocaine. And they were criminalized and thrown into prison. And now in the 21st century, white people have an issue with drugs. It's called opioid, heroin. And they're diagnosed with sickness and sent to rehab. Uh, because we have a history of elimination when it comes to black men. But then we embrace uh, this white, uh, these, these white men and women in our nation. You talking about elimination? This, we talk about it often now, this, this pipeline from school to prison for black men. That's how beds are. How do you determine how many beds go into jail or prison? By the reading scores or the reading levels of third graders. So if a third grader cannot read, then another bed is put in prison. And in some prisons, it costs as much as $75,000 a year to have somebody in prison. 
but we don't invest that much to keep a child in school. Why don't we teach them at the front end how to read with education rather than spending all that money at the back end when it comes to incarceration because that's a part of this DNA of this nation. It's a part of this systemic racism with these policies and legislations to annihilate or eliminate black men. And in Matthew chapter 2, that's what that head of state is doing. He's got some issues. He's got some mental issues. He's got some ego issues. And he sends those military police down there to kill those boys two years and under. Two years and under? Why is that significant? Because that's how long people have been talking about this newborn king. And so he felt that I need to get rid of him. But when they got to Bethlehem, they didn't know which boy in Bethlehem was the one born the king of the Jews. They couldn't just go to Bethlehem, look at the boys there, and determine which one was the king of the Jews. So he said, I take out all of them in an attempt to get that one. And the reason why they couldn't do that, because all the boys in Bethlehem had kingly potential. All the boys in Bethlehem had the potential of royalty and authority and prosperity. You couldn't just look at them and tell that. And, and here, even in the 21st century, you can't just look in our communities at our sons and daughters, at these boys and girls, and tell which ones are the doctors and the future lawyers and the senators and the, the mayors and the chief of police and the educators and the pastors and the athletes and the entertainers and the press. You can't just look at a boy or girl in our community and determine that because all the boys in our community have the potential of royalty. All the girls in our community have the potential to be queened. All of them have the potential of authority and prosperity and royalty. One of my favorite stories is about RG3. RG3's uncle tells his story. Uh, Robert Griffin III, a great football player that ended up winning the Heisman Trophy in 2011 playing for Baylor after breaking all those records there. And uh, his, his uncle talks about it when, when RG3 was 11 years old, uh, that uh, Robert Griffin III, his dad was in the military and was overseas. And so he left his 11-year-old son uh, with his uncle. And so his uncle was taking care of him, and RG's, RG3's dad said, now make sure you sign my son up uh, for Little League football. It's time for him to start playing football. And so the uncle takes him to sign him up for Little League football. And on the way there, he looks at little RG3, he was 11 years old, and he looked so skinny and so scrawny at 11 years old and living in New Orleans, and I'm quoting the uncle. He said, man, these inner city boys are going to kill my nephew. And on the way to signing him up, he turned around and refused to sign up his 11-year-old nephew. And he said, I'd rather have my brother mad at me uh, because I wouldn't sign his son up for football than to have him mad at me because his son got killed playing with them inner city boys in New Orleans, and he wouldn't sign him up. Next year, dad is back from overseas, and he signs Robert Griffin III up for Little League football, and then he goes on to Baylor, breaks all those records, wins the Heisman Trophy. He's the best college football player in the nation in 2011. Here's what RG3's uncle said. He said, I was driving the future Heisman Trophy winner and didn't even know it because you can't just look at a child 
and then come to a conclusion about what their future is going to be. Uh, makes me believe that some of y'all watching, streaming right now with your son and daughter, and you have no idea that's the doctor. You have no idea that's the lawyer. You have no idea that's the next senator. You have no idea that's the next pastor. You have no idea that's the next president. You can't just look at them. You're looking at them, but have no idea what God is going to do in their life. And they sent those military police down there, and they began to kill those little boys in Bethlehem. And they didn't kill everybody in Bethlehem. It was a certain color a certain culture, a certain gender, and a certain age. Sounds familiar, right? 21st century, these unarmed black males that are being gunned down by those who's supposed to protect and serve. It's not everybody, but it's a certain color, it's a certain culture, it's a certain gender, it's a certain age. And as all of that was going on, I want to show you what the response was with a woman by the name of Rachel. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, it says, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel begins to weep, to lament, to cry. She begins to make noise because of what's happening to the young males in her community. She saw what's happening with the young males, and she refused to be quieted. And she began to make some noise. That's what I'm trying to get across to us today. When we look at what is happening with, with this social injustice, when we look at what is happening with the police brutality, when we look at what is happening with this uh, systemic racism, we cannot remain quiet. We have to make noise. And Rachel refused to be comforted. She refused to stop crying. There was noise made in Rama. Wait a minute. Let me slow it down a little bit. Rachel? Who is this Rachel? You know, this Rachel is one of the mothers of the faith. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the patriarchs of the faith when it comes to the Judo-Christian religion. Uh, well, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers of the faith, Jacob was married to Rachel. Rachel must be the mother of the faith. And Rachel is that, that woman that gave birth to Joseph, the same Joseph that became second in command in Egypt and saved not only all of Egypt, but all the known world with his plan and implementation of that plan uh, as he was the second in command there. This is the mother of, of Benjamin. And when she gave birth to Benjamin, she died in childbirth. She died giving birth. She sacrificed her life so that her son may live. No wonder she's weeping. No wonder she's lamenting. No wonder she's making noise. Because she's the kind of mother that was sacrificed so her child could make it. And now we live in a time that people will sacrifice the children and sacrifice the young so that they can make it. And she began to make this noise. And she made noise because she sees uh, what's happening, it says, in Ramah. In Ramah, yeah, the children of Israel ended up with Babylon coming over to conquer Israel. Uh, and, and when they came over to conquer Israel, tore down the walls, burned the gates, uh, destroyed the temple, and then took them back in bondage in Babylon for 70 years. Ramah is in Israel. It's that, that city 
that before they went into bondage in Babylon, they would take them to Ramah, which was a holding place, until they would get them over there. So children had died in the war, and now they're being shipped out to Ramah to get into bondage and oppression in Babylon. And she's weeping and crying and making noise because look at what we're doing with our young people in Ramah. Ramah means a high place. Uh, Y'all, Israel would build their cities on hills. And so Ramah was a high place. It means height. And she, this woman is making noise because this is, it may be a high place, but it's some low down things going on. And we keep talking about that uh, the U.S., America, is the greatest nation in the world. I don't disagree with that. The U.S., America, is it's, it's a high place, but it's some low-down stuff happening here uh, that we got issues trying to get uh, a lynching legislation to stop having police officers to, to stop shooting unarmed black men, to, to stop having police officers to put black men in a chokehold who are unarmed and not resisting arrest and killing them to put their knee on the neck of a black man who's unarmed and not resisting and we got to have a, a issue with these lynching legislation yeah it's a high place but it's low down low down to twist scripture that you won't even open the book to to continue to perpetuate systemic racism you in a high place but this is low down and and the bible already warned us about if we open it and read it it warned us that we're going to have to deal with wickedness in high places but i love rachel because she wouldn't leave it alone she kept crying out she kept making noise y'all i want to celebrate everybody i don't care what your color is what your background is what your religion is that when you saw what happened to george floyd when you saw what was going on in this nation and now it became more clear to you that you begin to march that you begin to protest that you begin to write that you begin to preach that you begin to teach that you begin to do something you begin to make some noise and i celebrate you for making that noise and that noise is making a difference but i tell you this those who are sitting on the sideline doing nothing, there's something I call a sin of silence. A sin of silence? Yes. We need, if you see something, you ought to say something. That's what our police officers, when we would talk to a chief of police and mayors in our city, they tell us that we, got to, we don't have enough police officers to see everything. So in our communities, if we see something, then we need to say something. I agree with that. And I told them, that in your police community, when y'all see something that ain't supposed to be, then y'all need to say something. There is a sin of silence. To see something and not say something, that's my challenge to white preachers and white pastors. How can you see this and say nothing about this? This is systemic racism, this social injustice. There's a sin of silence. Martin Luther King Jr. says that the great tragedy is not the actions, the terrible actions of the bad people, but it's the silence of the good people in that regard. Matter of fact, the George Floyd piece, the only reason we even know what's going on and get the truth about that, because a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, a young woman, had enough courage to record it and report it because she saw something and she said something. And I know that a lot of times with the, with the protests and the marching and speaking out, People going to have something to say, but go on and make some noise anyway. Let them talk. 
Well, we need to make some noise. We cannot sit quiet and do nothing. We got to be like Rachel, uh, weeping in Ramah and over what's happening with these children in Bethlehem. And in our community, we're going to weep. We're going to cry out. We're going to lament. We're going to make some noise with this thing. And that's why I commend Callan Kaepernick. It's becoming more clear now that taking a knee, that everybody, not everybody, but those that got upset about that, him taking a knee. Now it's time for you to start talking about this officer, this white officer taking a knee on a black man and taking his life. And I heard people talking about, well, that's cool that, that Colin wants to protest, but he didn't have to protest like that. You cannot oppress a people and then tell them how to respond to your oppression. If you stop oppressing us, then there will be no protest. Whatever else you say about Callan Kaepernick, he made some noise. I praise God for Black Lives Matter that keep reminding us that this is still going on in our nation. And there are those that will criticize Black Lives Matter, but I celebrate you because at least you're making some noise. And Reverend Al Sharpton for more than 50 years now have been on the forefront of this and still standing with families and coming alongside those who are being a dog in this racial, racial divide in our nation. I know people dog Reverend Al Sharpton, but I celebrate you. I continue to make that. At least you're making some noise. William Barber III, Frederick Douglass Hayne, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, and I can just keep naming names after names, and I celebrate you, and the rest of us, I praise God that you're making some noise. But let me, let me say a word to our young people with your protests and your, that's bringing agitation to the nation. That's significant. But after the agitation, there needs to be some legislation. We're making noise. But that noise ought to make a change. That noise ought to make a difference. That noise needs to change laws. That noise needs to change legislation. That noise needs to change policies. So you got the agitation down. Now help us with the legislation. We got to register and we got to vote. And so I want you to understand with all that's going on, you and I got to make some noise. But not just make noise. I want to show you something else as a response to this. And this is Matthew chapter 2. In verse 19, it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Yeah, he had already appeared in a dream to him in verse 13 to 14. And now he comes back and he's having another dream in verse 19. With all that's going on, all those babies are dying, all that mess that's taking place, and Joseph is still dreaming. This is Jesus' stepdad that's trying to protect his son that fits the profile, the age, the gender, the color, the culture, uh, the, the, the dominance of a head of state that's wicked and wrong, and he's got to protect him and all of that. But all that's going on in this community, all he's dealing with in his family, but he kept on dreaming. That's what I'm trying to get across to us. We have to keep Dreaming. We cannot stop dreaming because of this social divide, this, this racial divide. We cannot stop dreaming because of the social injustice. We cannot stop dreaming because of all that has happened for hundreds of years in this nation. You got to keep on dreaming. You got to keep on hoping. If hope dies, the progress stops. If hope dies, the struggle ceases. If hope dies, that's when people give up and turn their back on God and life. No. You got to keep on dreaming and what dreams we have that, that God has placed in our hearts 
and God is placed in our minds. And we need with those aspirations and those goals that God has given to us to keep on dreaming and keep on hoping. What dreams we have and how they fly like rosy clouds across the sky of wealth, of fame, of sure success, of love that comes to cheer and bless. How they wither, how they wave, wilted wealth, jilted jade, the fame that for a moment gleams and forever flies. Oh, dreams, dreams, oh, burning doubts and long regrets, oh, tears with which our eyes are wet, heart throb, heartache, the glut of pain, summer clouds, bitter rains. You are not of my dreams, oh, well, full fruition, who can tell? Wealth, fame, and love, all oh, love that beams, all oh, dreams, dreams. Paul Lawrence Dunbar says that all of us have dreams. And then for some of us, those dreams move on like clouds in the sky. And then here comes the rain. Here comes the heartache. Here comes the pain. Here comes the mess. And we get mad at God. God, this was not in my dreams. Paul Lunds Dunbar said, look at it again. Maybe God was using the difficulties and the hardships and the pain to help you to live out those dreams. Y'all don't stop dreaming. Joseph is the stepdad of Jesus trying to uh, deal with the situation he was in. And, and, but when he dreamed, his dreams included his family. He'd go back and read the text. When he dreamed, his dream included his community. When he dreamed, his dream included Jesus. Some of us are still dreaming, but it doesn't include our family. and doesn't have anything to do with our community. It has nothing to do with Jesus. No, go on and include Jesus in your dreams because that's what's going to make a difference in the society and the times in which we live. And in those dreams, he was listening to the angels. Oh, hallelujah. Whatever else happens, he's, you know, he's dealing with a head of state that endorses the killing of young males in that community. He's dealing with a head of state that is breaking laws or, or making new laws and policies to use military police to do that which is ungodly. Uh, but Joseph kept listening to the angels. I love that because God is still speaking. I know we look at angels being all spooky and stuff, but you know, angels are personalities that have spent time in the presence of God. Angels are uh, personalities that have uh, understood the Word of God and bring that message of God to us. Because even in a pandemic, God is still speaking. That even in the midst of, of rooted systemic racism, God is still speaking. We have to keep listening to the angels. To the angels? Yes, angels exist. I believe that angels exist. And Joshua had to deal with that. He was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, but had to fight for it. And he got off to him, himself a night before battle. And in that uneasiness, an angel of the Lord showed up. Angels do exist. Daniel was in that lion's den because of his faith and trust and confidence in God. And they locked him up in that lion's den for something they never should have locked him up for. And then all night, God kept him. And the next day, the king hollered through the stone uh, in that cave, in that den. Uh, Daniel, has your God delivered you? And Daniel said, and my God sent an angel. I believe in angels. Peter was in that prison, and he was in the middle of the night and chained between those guards. And he was on death row. But in the middle of the night, an angel showed up and got him out of those chains and opened that door to his freedom. I believe in angels. I know my grandmama believed in angels. She used to sing all day, all night. Angels keep a watch over me. But even as these angels come to bring us the word of God, these messengers of God, bringing us God's word, we got to keep listening to the angel. 
God is still speaking. Y'all, there's power in the Word of God. The Word is like a lamp to my feet. It's like a light to my pathway. It's not enough just to hold up the Bible. Uh, you got to hide that Word in your heart that we might not sin against God. We, we got to understand that when heaven and earth pass away, God's Word will still be standing. Uh, we got to keep listening to the angels. And when they kept making noise and they kept dreaming, they kept listening to the angels. Listen to what the angel said in Matthew 2 and 19. The angel comes in Egypt because God knows where you are in the midst of all the mess and went right to where Joseph was and his family and said, Herod is dead now. That head of state is gone. That head of state has been removed from office. And now you can bring that baby back on out. The issue now is over. There's a, there's a chance that he can make it over in here now. And so they come out of Egypt and come back into Israel. Man, this is so exciting because they come back to the same community that helped them to rise above it, that Jesus was in that community. Jesus fit that profile. Uh, Jesus was an at-risk child. But that community helped, to, helped him to rise above it, helped him to transcend it. And others didn't make it, but he did. And after he made it, he comes back to the same community that helped him make it. And then brought deliverance to that community and deliverance to that world. That even today, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, Jesus didn't just come to save an individual. He does. He saves it. He saved me, so I know he saves individuals. But Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to set the captives free. And to set free those who are oppressed. And he comes right back to the same community that helped him make it to bring deliverance to that community and deliverance to the world. And it happened when that head of state that was out of order was removed. And again, I want to remind us all this agitation with protests, all this agitation with marching, all this agitation with all this writing and preaching and all oh, that's great. But y'all, we got to get, we got to register to vote and vote. Uh, y'all, if you got issues with the president or senator or a congressperson or mayor or a prosecutor, we determine who they are by voting. And the same way we vote people in, we can remove them from office by voting them out. If they're not concerned about our community, if they're not concerned about uh, dealing with this systemic racism, if they're not concerned about social justice, if they're not concerned about equality, whether it's with education or the economy, then y'all, we determine that by voting. When the present president became president of the United States, the week after that, a bunch of young people went and started protesting around the nation. I told the young people that God has allowed me to have some degree of influence over. After they began to protest around the nation about who the president was, I said, y'all, we don't determine who the president is uh, by protesting. We determine who the president is by voting. We determine who the mayor is, who the prosecutor is, who the congresspeople, who the senators, who the legislators are. We determine that by voting. And when that head of state in Matthew chapter 2 was removed, then the freedoms that were necessary for a young man like Jesus to come back was there. 
And then I want to say this too, because even without legislation, even without voting, I want y'all to know that God cares about us and God shows up all that was happening in Bethlehem and the, and the angel told Joseph, he said, now Herod is dead. Now you bring that child on out and come on back in here because he's the, he's the one that tried to kill the newborn king. He's dead. Now you can come on back. And when Herod tried to kill that newborn king by killing all those boys in Bethlehem who were 20 years and under, you know what he was saying? Newborn king. It'll happen over my dead body. I will use my dominance. I will use my perceived power. I will use my position to make sure this boy never becomes what y'all say he's going to be. And when he killed all those little boys in Bethlehem two years and under, that was his way of saying, it'll happen over my dead body. And you know how God made it happen? Over his dead body. And when Herod died, that's when Jesus came back to that community, blessed that community, and blessed this world. There are those today that still benefit from our pain and hurt. William J. Shaw at the White Rock Church, Pennsylvania, he talks about, he says that the demonic always tries to take advantage of hurting people. And they'll even go on and say it, it'll happen over my dead body. But I serve a God that'll make it happen over people's God's plan and program will come into being and Jesus he showed up and that baby that when moves were made and noise was made and listening to the angels and listening to the word of God when that happened that boy got saved and when that boy became a man and he was 33. The same community that saved him, he came back and saved them and brought deliverance to the world that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that we're doing in these protesting and marching and preaching and teaching and uniting and coming together and making sure that these policies and legislations and laws are changed to be inclusive of everybody, it's going to make a difference because uh, these young black males, these young black women and brown men and women, these Latinos, these poor people that we're making a difference for, these are going to be the same ones that come back and bring deliverance in our community. I'm, I want to close like this. I, I ran across... Uh, this, I wasn't even looking for it. I ran across something called a bogon moth. I'd never even heard of a bogon moth before. And these bogon moths, they are a part of the creatures that are migration creatures, whether there are bugs and birds that are, are and animals that are migration creatures. And this bogon moth is a part of that. And they, they, they find themselves, their habitat is really in Western Australia. So in, in the autumn, uh, they'll be in Western Australia where they mate and, and give birth to their babies and all of that. And then when the spring and summer comes, they'll go to the uh, Australian Alps. They'll fly uh, like 600 miles away. And then when autumn comes back up, they come back to their home uh, in, in Western Australia. And that's where they mate, and that's where they have their babies. And then again, so uh, biannually, they'll fly six or they'll fly so far away, but they always know how to come back home because there is God placed in them some kind of innate magnetism, this innate 
migration that they could always find them their way back home. And these bygone moths, they got it down so much to be able to get back home no matter how far away they get because they got it to the point that the same rock that they were born on is the same rock that they mate on and it's the same rock that they die on. So no matter how far away they get, they can always get back to that home on that rock. Here's why I wanted to bring that up. Because some of us, we've given our life to Jesus Christ. We've accepted Jesus. We, we know he brings salvation. You believe he died on the cross. You believe God raised him from the dead. But to tell you the truth, you've, you've strayed. You, 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 you're too far out now. You're not where you used to be. You don't serve God the way you used to. You don't love God the way you, you don't give to God. You're not connected to the kingdom of God like you used to. Even before the pandemic, you weren't connected to the church the way you used to be. But I want you to understand that if the God we serve can put some kind of innate ability in a moth, that no matter how far they go, they can get back to the rock that is their home. How much more shall our heavenly Father put his Holy Spirit in us that no matter how far we stray, that we can get back to that rock which is our home where we were born again. Born again. Yeah, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And you can come back home. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Where can I go when there's no one I can turn to? Who can I talk to when no one wants to listen? Who can I lean on when the earth all around is unstable? I go to the rock I know he's able. I go to the rock. I go to the rock of our salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountains stand by me. When earth all around is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter. And when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Uh, God has placed in us his Holy Spirit so that we can reconnect to the rock where we were born again. 